Well, good morning, Oakwood family. Glad that you're here with us this morning, and also just want to say a special hello to all those that are online with us this morning as well, and uh, just uh, glad you're here. What a great time of worship this morning. Let's give a hand to our worship team and to Rusty. Just remember, hope has a name, and his name is Jesus, and if you're not feeling too hopeful, then press into him even more. That's what he wants us to do. So we're continuing in a series today called Thankful, and this is part two of this series, and I will just say this, this is one of those series that builds one week from the next, and so if you uh, weren't here last week or happened to miss last week for any reason, that's available online. You can watch this video, you can go to SoundCloud and just download and listen to it as a podcast, uh, whatever, you, whatever you prefer, uh, but I invite you to do that and allow God to speak. And uh, just, just because we're building on last week a little bit, I want to go back to mention just a couple of things from last week. Is last week, um, our, our focus was to count our blessings. That was kind of the action step was. Let's be a people that's actually looking at really, truly how blessed we are. Uh, because, you know, it's 2020 and there's all this stuff going on in the world. And you could be having a very, very negative outlook right now and a very, very uh, negative perception of the world and what's happening in the world. And it could be very, very frustrating and, and all of these things. And yet uh, we come into a season, you know, we call Thanksgiving. And, and I know that there's places in the country that are trying to cancel Thanksgiving. I heard that for the first time this week, canceling Thanksgiving gatherings, canceling Thanksgiving. Here's, here's the bottom line, folks. We're not going to cancel Thanksgiving. As God's people, we are called to be thankful people. And thankful for all God has done for us. And we need to change our perspective on that. And, and last week we were in Leviticus chapter 7 uh, uh, for part of that message. And I was talking about the, the interesting fact that the first time that the word thankful or thanksgiving is found in Scripture is in Leviticus chapter 7. And how it was tied to a passage where God was giving the Israelites the Levitical law. And it was talking about peace offerings. And it says if you're going to come and offer a peace offering with thanksgiving from a thankful, grateful place in your life uh, that you should, you know, and it went into all this stuff about, you know, how to make bread and you got to take, you know, flour and, and leaven and oil. And if not, then make this one with this kind of oil and, you know, use leaven in this one, unleavened in this one. And, and, we, and we talked about that, but what was interesting is how God was, you know, who's very specific about what he wants. He's given his people the law, but it was interesting because the whole theme of the passage was about offering a peace offering to the Lord but then they added with thanksgiving. Other times they talked about the peace offering, didn't talk about thanksgiving, but there in Leviticus 7 it does. And what I challenged us to think about was the correlation of that that starts way back in Leviticus and actually works its way through all of Scripture because this is a theme I see. And I was like, is it a thing? Is it, could it be a thing that possibly to have true peace in your life, no matter what your circumstances are, to have that peace, that peace, you know, that the Scripture talks about that, that um, surpasses and transcends all human understanding. That, that deep kind of peace. Not a peace that the world would give you. Not a temporary peace or a peace based on your conditions. But a peace that comes from the Lord. Where you can look about anything in the eye and say, you know what? God's got this. That kind of peace. Is there some kind of a correlation here between being a person that is thankful and having a thankfulness for God and who he is and what he's done. And having this great peace in your life. I want us to consider that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 7. Now, if you've been at Oakwood this year, uh, since January, as you're turning here, I wonder if your Bible's going to just like flip to this page. I wonder if it's like my Bible where the edge of my page is dirty. 
Okay, I guess I need to wash my hands more, I don't know. But the edge of Philippians chapter 4 is dirty because we've turned there so much this year. Uh, if you were with us in January and February, we did a series called Anxious for Nothing, and I actually preached four weeks on Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. So for some of you, you may say, yes, I've, I marked it, I highlighted it, I've got a little note out to the side here, I memorized it, uh, maybe you memorized it, took this passage to heart, um, and so maybe you're like, well, why are we going back here? Well, I'd written a sermon pretty much almost in its entirety uh, Wednesday before 4 o'clock. And then Wednesday at 4 o'clock, I've been wrestling that, you know, Philippians 4 just really speaks to this, ties this correlation in. Um, it, it's just wonderful for our times. I mean, this could be the theme verse for the year 2020. And so uh, I quit fighting it and decided, hey, we're going we're gonna to examine this. We're going to talk about this again. And we're actually going to be focusing on something that we didn't focus on in those four weeks. And so I, I just pray this, this blesses you. Uh, this morning. The other thing I want to tell you this morning is we're going to be looking at lots of different passages of Scripture, and so I would like for you to stay there in Philippians chapter 4, but understand uh, that all the other Scriptures will be um, on, on the screens for you as we, as we go through this message together. And also, just a reminder, if you don't have your Bible and you have your phone, uh, get on the phone. Get on, if you have a tablet with you, an iPad or something, uh, get on there, download the Oakwood app, and go to Sermon Notes, and all the notes are right there for you. Uh, and you can actually highlight in there. I know last service had some people highlight and do verse imagery in the Bible app. And I, I was looking through that. It was really cool to, to see that. So uh, Philippians chapter 4. Because uh, we're not going to be talking about uh, what we were talking about earlier in the year in that series called Anxious for Nothing. And not, not really focused on that. But that is a part of this that I think Thanksgiving cures anxiety. And Thanksgiving can actually cure fear. And I want us to consider that as, as, as we read this together uh, um, this morning. And, and so Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 7, it starts out, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the, the Christians in the church in Philippi, and this is what he says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Great passage of Scripture. If you've been anxious at any point in your life, which I think in the human condition in this sin-fallen world we live in, yes, we can all relate to that. It's interesting, though, as you read this passage this morning, the interesting thing is right in the middle of the passage is this with thanksgiving. Okay, well, let's, just, let's just read that verse again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It's kind of almost feels like awkward placement there because you almost just want to say it this way do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And you just leave the with thanksgiving out. I actually did that in the series by accident once uh, earlier this year. And, and yet it's so important and it's there right in the middle. And you almost look at it and you see, well, that's really like awkward placement right here in the middle of the passage. You know, could that be like just kind of misplaced in the thoughts here? No, 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 no. I think it's there. For an absolute purposeful reason. is because the way that Christians and believers pray speaks to their faith and their belief. And speaks to a heart that has great affection toward God. 
and is thankful not only for what God does and what he accomplishes, but who he is. And if we think about that, it's interesting because right on the heels of that verse that talks about prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, then it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That was the challenge from last week is, is there a correlation between this idea that you would have a thankful heart and a gratitude toward God and that you would also find this peace that, that seems to be elusive in this day and age. This, this seems to be, I don't have peace. I, I feel like the world's falling apart. My world is falling, is falling apart. You know, what, what am I going to do? And yet we get to this place where we realize, man, I'm really blessed. God's still on the throne. God's still in, in charge over everything. He's all sovereign. He's all knowing. He knows exactly what's going on. And because I have chosen to put my faith in him, and I submit my will to him, I know that he is in charge. And for that, for not myself having to be in charge, but for God being in charge, makes me extremely thankful. And puts us in this attitude, in this place of gratitude and thanksgiving toward God. And this is where he wants us to be, in this mindset of thanks. Now, last week we talked about how this is counterintuitive, okay? It goes against our flesh and our sinful nature. This isn't something that's just going to come naturally like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just, I'm just so thankful. I just happened into it. No, no, it's a mindset. It's a lifestyle decision. It's something that you decide in your heart and in your mind. And in the text here, it's interesting because in Philippians 4, the text assumes something here. It assumes that believers will cry out to God. That's, that's prayer and petition, a petition has, gives us this idea of repetition, that we're going to petition God continually. That we're going to be bringing our requests and bringing our thoughts and, and bringing our prayers and what's on our heart to Him. But that through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, that this is the mindset the Christians would have. First thing I want us to get this morning is, is this. Christians react to trials with thankful prayer. Christians react to trials with thankful prayer. I actually changed that when I, when I wrote that this week. Originally, I said, true, mature believers react to trials with thankful prayer. And the reason I changed it back to Christians react to trials with thankful prayer is because it's for everyone. It's not just for the mature ones. Now, I think it is definitely a maturity thing. It's a depth of faith in God thing. It's, you know, do you, are you really in or are you, or, are, you, are you out on God? Is he really who he says he is? And am I going to trust him completely with everything that's going on in my life, with the good and the bad and the ugly, that he can work in and through all of those things? And when I go through those trials and I petition God and I come to God, I don't come to him out of out of some type of anguish or out of some type of rebellious spirit or, or frustration, but I come to God in this attitude of gratitude, in this place of thankfulness. Because Christians react to trials with thankful prayer. So it's assumed in our text that we're going to come to God in prayer with thanksgiving. 
And if you think about this, the, the, the Apostle Paul is the one writing this to, to the church and the Christians of Philippi. And all that he had been through in life and all that he was experiencing even then seemed to be like, wow, and you're thankful for what condition in your life? He's thankful for Jesus Christ. He's thankful for the fact that Jesus paid it all. He's thankful for the, for the fact that we have a loving family of God. He, he's thankful for the fact that we have a heavenly citizenship. And that we're, that we're just passing through this world. He's thankful so much for Jesus. And for what he did on the cross of Calvary for us. And so the text does not assume here that, that you're, you're not going to come to God. And that you're not going to cry out to God, perhaps. You cry out to him with your needs and your problems, your doubts, your fears, your questions, maybe even your anxiety. But that a Christian will do it in this mindset and in this place of thanksgiving. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says this, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you are here this morning and you say, well, I, I have anxiety. I've been feeling anxious about many, many things in my life, many different areas. It's relationships, it's finances, it's the future. I, I, I'm concerned about all of these things. Remember that he cares for you. And remember that the burdens are lifted at Calvary. And remember that Jesus loves you so much that he died for you, but he also resurrected. He overcame death. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, bring your burdens. Cast all your anxiety on him, Peter says, because he cares for you. And because of that, Christians react to the trials of life with, grace, with grateful hearts and thankful prayer. The second thing I want us to get this morning is that God promises to use everything that happens in life for ultimate good. God promises to use everything that happens in life for ultimate good. You, you think about this in regards to different Bible characters. I was thinking about the life of Joseph in Genesis. You know, I, I don't have time really to, to explain his whole life to you, but I'll give you just this short rendition. Is that uh, basically he was thrown into prison for two years, falsely accused of trying to commit adultery with Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar was an official in, in Egypt. And, and you think, wow, you know, it's a, that's something to be grateful for, right? False accusation in jail for two years. But God had a plan, and his plan was for good. You see, what happened while he was in prison is he, be, he was a model prisoner, and he became friends with the prison guard, and, and he, it was revealed uh, through interactions with him that Joseph could interpret dreams. And Pharaoh was having some dreams that needed some interpretation and needed somebody to explain these dreams. And so it was... It was Joseph who, by word of a jailer, got to Pharaoh and got to go stand before Pharaoh and explains what's about to happen to the nation of Egypt. And it's through those circumstances that after that, Pharaoh puts him second in command over all of Egypt. You see, it was through all things that God was working out something good. In fact, in fact Joseph talks about this, I think it's in uh, Genesis chapter 50. He says, what, what the devil intended for evil, God intended for good. Seems so parallel, right? I mean, what the devil intended for evil to be something bad result and evil, God turned around and made it something awesome. As you look at the context of that story, you wonder to yourself, 
Would he have met Pharaoh? Would he have had that kind of access if he hadn't met the, the head of the prison that talked to Pharaoh and heard that he needed some, some help interpreting some dreams? God has a plan. And God promises to use everything. And you say, everything? Even the stuff I hate? Even the stuff that's ugly? Even the situations in life that I... Yes, he works everything that happens in life for his ultimate plan and his ultimate good. We, we know this scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says this, And we know that in all things, all things, really all? I like everything? In all things, yeah. It says that. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know, this is a, another perspective change that we have to make a shift for. You see, we see our lives from, you know, however tall you are, you know, five foot three to six foot nine, you know, it's like this is our perspective. It's just here and now. It's like this is my perspective. And this is the time where you have to change and you have to think, uh, no, I need to have a heavenly perspective. I need to have the perspective of a kingdom of God citizen. That, that, that this is something, that, that, this is something that, that, that we need to refocus and recenter our lives on is, is in this detail. That God has a plan. His plan is sovereign and bigger. In fact, the Bible talks about his plan being something that we can't even comprehend. It can't be revealed to us because it would just blow our minds. And yet we're supposed to acknowledge God's plan in our life. And part of that acknowledgement is that we would trust him in all things. And understand that even when things happen, when he, that even when, when different things happen, he is working together for the good in the end. He's working his end result, his greater purpose. And sometimes I know we feel like we don't understand the purpose. The good news is you don't have to understand the purpose. You just have to understand who God is. And you have to put your faith fully in him. Last week I'd, I talked in that Leviticus 7 and we were talking about that, about the illustration there, that when we make bread, you know, we take salt and flour and, and oil. And if you, if you just drank some oil and ate some salt by itself and some flour, you know, you'd be like, wow, these do not taste good. No, no good. But when you take all these ingredients together and you start kneading them together, and you, start, you make this dough and you put the bread in the oven, it comes out and you're like, wow, good result, good bread, right? It's, it's the same thing in our lives, is that God is taking the good and, and the bad and sometimes even the ugly and the things we don't like, and he's kneading it together in his plan for a greater purpose. And we have to choose to trust in that and to know in our hearts and our minds that God is good. He's working all things together for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And so then we understand that God promised us that he's going to use everything that happens in life for an ultimate good. The third thing I want us to get this morning is that believers should be thankful, full of thanks for several things. And, and the first one is God's power. That as believers, we should be thankful for God's power. That God has the power over all things in life. Look what it says here, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 5. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Notice that it says the hope is a living hope. Because Jesus resurrected from dead. It says a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The biblical writers in the New Testament, they just can't get over this fact. As you go through every book in the New Testament, you keep hearing about the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection. This is a big deal. 
Sometimes I just think we, we read it and we just glance over it. And, oh yeah, Easter, resurrection, yeah, Jesus came from the dead. No, this is amazing. I mean, if someone were dead here this morning and were laying here and they could just, just take their own life up again like Jesus Christ did, like the Son of God, we had the power to do that, we'd be like, wow, we'd be celebrating, we'd be applauding. I mean, your spirit would be moved. And they, this was a big deal. This is supernatural power. And God has power over all things. And because of that, we should find ourselves to be very thankful. Let's, let's read the rest of this. So, and, and the other thing I want to point out there is this, is this an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Did you hear that? This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who, through faith, are shielded by God's power, the resurrection, life, power of the Son of God. Something to be thankful for is that God is powerful. He's powerful. He has power and dominion over every situation in your life, even the ones that are painful, even the ones you do not like. God still has dominion there. He can change it in an instant. Understand the power of God and be thankful that we serve a God who is all-powerful and even has the power over death. Believers should also be thankful for all of his promises. For all of the promises that God has given us in Scripture. That we need to be faithful people to understand that, that he is going to do what he's promised to do. He, it's all of his promises. In 2 Corinthians, I love what 2 Corinthians says. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They are yes in Christ. And so, through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. What does it mean when we say Amen. Because we say amen sometimes, we hear a good verse of scripture, or, or we like something in the sermon, someone might say, amen, okay? And us preachers, we like an amen every once in a while, but what are you, what are you actually saying? Well, what that word actually means is, so be it, or may it be so. And so you're like declaring that you want that to happen. You're declaring the amen. Sometimes you do that during worship. I remember after the second or third song this morning, I, I, I was singing and I just said, amen, yeah, so be it. That's what we want. And so now let's, let's read this verse again, 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes because of Jesus Christ. They are yes, yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And you may think, yes, I believe that. I want to believe that. You know, yes, but how? It's all through faith. It's through faith that you believe and are thankful in your heart for all of his promises in life. It's through faith. I like to define faith as the scripture says. Because Hebrews 11.1 actually just, just totally defines faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see, the element of faith is you don't necessarily know everything, so you have to have some faith to get you there. Right? You have to have some faith. Being sure of what you hope for. Certain of what you do not see. The way I define faith is that faith is believing God is who he says he is and that he will do all he's promised to do. That's what faith is. Sure of what you hope for. Certain of what you do not see. 
that God is who he says he is, that he will do all he has promised to do in Scripture. And I'm telling you, folks, that is something to be thankful for. Be thankful for a God that keeps his promises. And in due time, we will reap the harvest of God's blessings and his promises that he gives his believers in Scripture. And so as you read those promises, because they're all throughout the Bible, Old Testament promises uh, for Israelites, New Testament promises for God's people, universal principles that you read all throughout the Scripture that apply to us even today, understand that we are to be thankful for all of God's promises. Another thing that we need to be thankful for is relief from suffering. Relief from suffering. If you're suffering, you're going through something right now, you will eventually get relief. There is promised relief from suffering in the scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Do you catch that? That after we have suffered for a little while, he will restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. He's talking right, right there to believers who are actually going through persecution, who are, who are having all these things and there's all this suffering for them. And sometimes I think it's interesting that we act surprised in life by this. It's like, oh, we're, we're surprised that we're suffering in life and that everything in this life is not perfect. No, that would be heaven. Okay, I think God wants to leave us longing for heaven. But I think sometimes, well, we want heaven here on earth. We want everything to be perfect and easy and loving and just have this perfection here on earth. And I'm here to tell you people, that's not reality in this sin-fallen world. We're to be longing for heaven the ultimate relief from suffering that we experience all throughout our life is in heaven. And why are we surprised when even Jesus, the Son of God, said, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say, you may have trouble. He didn't say, well, you might have trouble. He said, you will have trouble. All of us that live for any period of time here on the earth are going to have trouble. But Jesus didn't leave it there. He said, take heart. Take heart, I've overcome the world because he's powerful, because he's loving, because we stand upon his promises and because he will bring relief from suffering. In Romans chapter 5, the second part of verse 2 and verse 3, it says this, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope if you want to do a, a cool study study romans 5 3 and study that correlation and maybe even the cycle of suffering that produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope because some of it's easy to understand I mean, some of that's really easy. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the suffering would produce perseverance because long as you suffer you have to persevere through. okay you know perseverance produces character a long obedience in the same direction, the character, there's your staying in character. But character, hope, study that out. But God is a God that we should be very gracious toward and grateful for and thankful for because he will offer us relief from suffering. And the last thing that we should be thankful for as, as believers is his perfecting work. 
As believers, we need to be uh, just appreciative and thankful for his perfecting work in us. His perfecting work in us. Sometimes that process is a little bit painful. <laughs> it's almost like you're standing before God and he's got a chisel and a hammer and he's like, oh, let me reform you there. Tink, 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 tink. Ouch. Oh, let me, let me get this off of you. Tink, tink, you know. And it's like as he's doing this, as he's continuing to reshape us and remold us, he's doing this perfecting work in us, we are called to be thankful for that. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says this, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? He's going to continue this perfecting work in us all the way to the return of Christ or to the end of our lives in this world. Until the day of Christ Jesus, that he will carry it on to completion. Completion. Until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible says that the Lord knows the number of days of everyone who's born. He knows the exact number of days. He knows your, he knows your, your born on date and he knows the date that you will perish, your expiration date. And he, he knows exactly what's going to happen in your life. And the scripture promises that we are to become more Christ-like. And that he's going to do this perfecting work in us and call us. It's almost like a missional call to be more Christ-like. To, to want to pursue the things of God. To evangelize more. To look more like Christ Jesus. That we find ourselves every day and every moment becoming more holy. More, more sanctified. More loving more looking like and having the characteristics of Jesus Christ in our lives. And though sometimes some of us may say, well, I'm resistant to that, or I don't like that, or that's a tough thing. Be thankful for His perfecting work in us. Did you know that God's perfecting work in you could actually make an eternal difference in someone else's life? Because of that perfecting work in you, because of the change that God and his Holy Spirit is bringing about in your life, that when you come into contact with others and they see that, it affects them. I mean, I can't tell you how many people that, man, if you knew their past, you would be shocked, jaws on the floor. And you look at them today, you're like, man, they're so pure. They're so holy. I mean, that's a man or a woman after God's own heart. Yes, it is. Because God is continuing to do his perfecting work in them. It's something else we need to be thankful for. Let's go back to the text. Let's just hear it one more time. And let, let's feel the thanksgiving prayer in this. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Highlight it, underline it, put a star by it, memorize it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. That gentleness is the calm and the chaos of life. Let that gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Because of that, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Because I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters of Christ, because when you do that, it says, and then, then, the peace of God that transcends all understanding, even though it doesn't make sense to those who are lost in this world, they look at Christians facing cancer, facing death, facing persecution, facing ruin, 
peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you what, it's 2020, right? It's 2020, there's a lot going on in the world. And maybe some of us, we got caught up. We got distracted about where we were putting our hope. We're seeking peace. We're peace-seeking people. Even people that are out there in the world and maybe, maybe promoting violence, they're, they're hoping that the violence would produce peace somehow in their life. It seems so weird. It seems so opposite. But it's truly what everybody wants. But we don't want the peace of the world. We want the peace that surpasses understanding. We want an eternal peace. We want real peace that will last. But we've got to remember that we've got to keep our hope in God. Put more hope in God. Put more hope in God than your government's ability to manage a pandemic. <laughs> Put your hope in God more than the outcome of any election. Put your hope in God more than a vaccine. Or that life's going to get back to normal. Put your hope in God more than your stock portfolio. Even when the market's up. Put your hope in God more than your 401k or your bank account or your accolades in life or your position or in your perceived control of the outcomes of your life. But hope in Jesus Christ. And be thankful for who he is and everything he's done and how much he loves you. That He would sacrifice his son for you. And realize that in doing this with a grateful and thankful heart, you will have true peace. When Jesus was with the disciples in the upper room, it's recorded in, in John 14 that he, he told them something that I, had, I think had to be extremely meaningful to them. I mean, you think about all that they were going to go through. And here's Jesus in the upper room, and they're celebrating really the last Passover they would observe together with the Son of God. And Jesus had been warning them really for about a year and a half. He's like, hey, I'm going to leave you but there's one that will come after me, the Holy Spirit. And hey, um, I will, the, the Son of Man will be given over to the hands of sinners and will be crucified, will be, will, but will be raised again on the third day. He'd been foreshadowing this over and over. And he'd been telling them, I'm leaving. I, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to be handed over to the Roman authorities. I mean, he'd, he'd been foreshadowing this and telling them this for a long time. But he gets into the upper room with the disciples. And understanding, they, 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 they sensed in Jesus there was something different that night. You know, it's, it's like Jesus is more on edge maybe than he's been before. He's more serious. It's, it's, you know, Jesus knew the end is, is hours away now, hours. And these guys still aren't getting it. And they're going to face so much. And this is what Jesus says to them in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And trust me, Jesus' peace is the only peace and he says, I do not give to you as the world gives. Temporary peace, peace treaty, truce. No. He says, I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why? Because Jesus says, I'm the prince of peace. And if you'll focus on me and my father, and you see all that we've done for you, and you just well up in gratefulness and thankfulness. 
Let me reveal it to you, spoiler alert, reveal it to you how it all ends. You get to the book of Revelation, okay? In the end, he wins. In the end, he wins. Okay, sorry if I spoiled it for you, but yeah, ultimate victory over everything wrong that you want right in this world, ultimate victory in the end, in the end, God wins. And we know that. We're given that, that vision, that heavenly vision from John in Revelation to encourage us, to show us the way to faith, but also to make us a people that are like, thank God that he's in control and I don't have to be. Thank God that he's sovereign and powerful over all things. Thank God that he keeps his promises. Thank God that we won't suffer forever. You think about your life in the scope of eternity. I mean, what, what do you got, you know? 70, 80, 90, you know, maybe years, maybe less than that, maybe far less than that in some cases, maybe far more. And yet, for those that believe, for God's children, in an instant, anything you were suffering with life is taken away. You have the hope and the reality, not the hope anymore, now the reality of heaven. To be in the presence of God forever. The Apostle Paul saw it in all of his suffering. He said, thankful for who God is, for what he's done in our lives. Because when you do this and you find yourself grateful and thankful, you will also find yourself peaceful. And if you feel like that's been elusive this year, uh, 2020 and all that's going on, start counting your blessings. Start reading the scriptures. Start understanding and hearing from the Lord. I think it'll well up in you that, yeah, we can celebrate some Thanksgiving because we have much to be thankful for. We're going to take communion this morning. And this is just kind of our, our, our way to, to tie up hearing from the Lord and his word this morning. And as we're doing this, and I, I was thinking about this, and I even shared this with the worship team earlier when we took communion together backstage. I imagine that when the persecution of the early uh, Christians and the early Christian church was going on, that this was a very, very special moment. To be able to take the bread that represents his body and the cup that represents Jesus' blood. I mean, you think about this. In the book of Acts, even early on in, in chapter 4, you know, it's, it's, it's Peter and John, and they've been before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin's beaten them with rods and said, don't you speak in the name anymore. Just talking about the name of Jesus, because there's power in the name of Jesus. And it's, don't you speak in the name. They wouldn't even say the name of Jesus because it's caused such a stir. I don't know if they said Jesus, then like the, you know, the earth trembled and the trees swayed and the rocks cried out, woo! And they're, they're like, we're not, don't you speak in that name. Don't, do you know the name we're talking about? Don't you speak in the name. And they sent them back to the people in Acts chapter 4. And I think it's around Acts chapter 4, verse 29, where they're back with the Christians and they're hunkered down there. And, and they said, what are you going to do? They've made all these threats. They've even threatened your lives. What are we going to do? Because I think some of the Christians were like, just tone it down a bit. Just tone it down. Like, just chill out. Just lay low. And Peter's like, no. We will go on. And we will preach the gospel. And we will speak in the name with more boldness. And they're like, more boldness? More boldness just almost got us killed. He's like, Yes. But God is in control. We have the power of Jesus Christ. And I'm believing and having faith 
He is who he says he is. He'll do all he's promised to do. Because of that, we're going to be okay. And when those believers assembled so many times in the book of Acts, it records that they broke bread together. And I imagine with everything that was coming at them and everything in life, that when they got around the table and they all hunkered down, and I'm sure you know, there was prayers going up, and in that moment as they took the bread and the cup, that was peace. That was like, ah, sacrifice of Jesus, the power of the resurrection. Yes, God's got this. Maybe that's what you need this morning as you take communion. You need to remember that God's got this. You need to have this moment of peace from the Prince of Peace. Because he's the only one that can calm that anxious and unsettled heart. Let's pray this morning and then we're going to take communion. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity we have to gather around your table. God, I this moment I always picture in my mind that, that we're around the table with you, that you're at the head of the table, that we can all see you. We look into your face. We look into your direction. And with much warmth and just a nod and confidence because you're the Son of God, because you have the power to resurrect the dead, to resurrect yourself. God, we take these emblems and this, this, this cracker away for a piece of bread that represents your body, this, this cup that represents your blood. And you command us to do this in remembrance of Jesus. To do this in remembrance of me, the Scripture says. And in this moment, God, I pray you'd remind us of resurrection power. You'd remind us and make us a grateful and a thankful people. And God, because of that, we could just exhale and just have great peace in our hearts. And God, we thank you for that. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, just take a few moments here and commune with your Savior.